On this episode of Unbeatable, Jay Allen describes a moment where his life is crashing in around him. His marriage is falling apart. All of his dreams in Nashville are falling to pieces around him. And he's got one glimmer of hope. And he decides, I'm just going to go play one more show. And then that's it. I'm going to throw my hands up and I'm going to quit. And as soon as that show is over with, he walks up to a bar and somebody gives him a piece of advice. And that moment, Jay Allen becomes unbeatable. Not just unbeatable, but he creates some music that sets the internet on fire and launches a spectacular music career. So this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to an Iowa boy named Jay Allen. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Jay, thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest on Unbeatable. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Man, um, it is good to connect with you. I've been following you online a little bit, getting to know a little bit about you. And uh, I want to help our listeners learn a little bit more about this guy. Are you in Nashville right now? Yep, I'm in I'm in Nashville. I've been here for about a decade, actually ten years this June. So really, they, they call it a ten year town, and I feel that one hundred percent. Yeah, it took you all ten years, right, to get to that point where you. Uh, we'll talk about where you're at in your music career um, today, but the reason I asked about Nashville is because you're an Iowa boy. Is that right? Yes, I grew up in the Midwest, Iowa through and through. Go Hawkeyes! All right, tell me a little bit about. Well, you don't have to tell me. But there's a bunch of listeners who don't know what it's like in Iowa and specifically in Cedar Falls, Iowa. So can you tell everybody what it was like growing up in Cedar Falls, Iowa? Yeah. So it's funny because I just got married to Kylie Morgan. She's a country artist signed to EMI and uh, she had never been to Iowa. She'd only heard about Iowa through me. Of course, because nobody ever goes to Iowa unless you have to go to Iowa for something. Yeah. People, if you're not from Iowa, you assume, you know, what Iowa is and it's cornfields in, in the middle of nowhere and, uh, you know, back roads and not a lot going on. And that pretty much is the case. But it's like <laughs> any town, if you're from somewhere, it's home to you and you have memories tied to that, you know. And so I remember uh, my little sister got married. And so I brought Kylie to her wedding and she had fallen asleep. We flew into Des Moines, had to fly from or had to drive from Des Moines to uh-huh. this little where it was like a, a barn out in the middle of the country that they got married in. And Kylie fell asleep, taking a nap, and she woke up, and we were actually on a gravel road in the middle of cornfields. <laughs> she was like, I was right. Where am I? Where did you take me? And, uh, I mean, so that's what it is. You know, it's uh, you know, but when you're from there, it's it's all about the culture for me. So, I, you know, I rarely get to go back. Uh, I specifically set up a bunch of shows in Iowa this year so I could because I have really that. Nice. <laughs> My little sister had a baby, so now I have a nephew, which has filled a massive void in our family's All right. life. I set up a bunch of shows there specifically so I could spend time with family. But for me, I mean, small town Iowa, Cedar Falls, Iowa, you know, it's they really, you know, represent all the you know beautiful things that small towns represent it's all about you know family it's about um it's all circled around sports you know the friday night lights and yeah. um, going to church every sunday and every everybody knows everything about you you know and so i have nothing but positive memories about that and um not a lot of people know this but i went to the university of northern iowa i had a full ride scholarship at uni and that's all where right. kurt, kurt warner went to college there too 
you know, uh, Slipknot is from Cedar Falls, Iowa. They recorded yeah. their first ever record in, in the home in my hometown, Cedar Falls, Iowa. So there's been some big names that have come out of that uh, that little town. Um, hey, we didn't have a chance to talk a lot before we started recording this episode, but are you aware that I'm from not far from you? Are you aware that I, my family comes out of Fort Dodge, Iowa? Oh my gosh, Iowa boy. <laughs> yeah, so man, I know Cedar Rapids. I know it like the back of my hand because you and I are just not that far away from each other. In fact, um, I used to hang out with the family. This is when I went back home to visit. We would all pack up in the vehicles and we would take a drive over to, I'm sorry, to Cedar Falls because we wanted to go play in your water park. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah, man. I knew I liked you. I was asking you to tell the listeners about Iowa because I know what this was like growing up. You know what it was like growing up, but all the people that are listening to this right now, everybody who's watching this episode, they haven't the first clue what those soybean fields, uh, corn fields, those hog uh, farms are like out there. So you just got to tell them a little bit about life as a young boy yeah. in the fields of Iowa. That's awesome, man. I knew I liked you, Iowa boy. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah, it's just it's it's you know everyone just assumes there's nothing to do there, and you know if you're not from there, that's the case, you know. You, but for me, it's like you know Friday night lights. Everything was about football and wrestling and track, yeah. and everyone circles around those sporting events. It was so exciting growing up, and I um, you know, I just think for me, it's like every time I drive through the Midwest, I hit Iowa. I'm just like, there's nothing like just those big open fields, that open yeah. sky, that feeling of just yeah. out there and being free. You know, now I live in Nashville and I tour full time. I'm in big cities all the time. And it's fun. It's exciting, but it's also congested. But it's not Iowa, right? Stifling. It's it's not. Yeah, it's not. the. You don't have that feeling of freedom like we had growing up, you know. And, and Yeah. So uh, th there's definitely a big part of me that misses it. Um, but uh, I get to go back now and visit because I pleasure it. Yeah. Full time, so, yeah. Well, like every kid does in to, when he meets another guy from Iowa, you got to ask the obligatory question, did you wrestle? Because um, for you and I know just about every boy in Iowa wrestles to some degree, yeah. whether or not you stick with it, that's a whole nother thing. Did you wrestle? Yeah, I wrestled started when I was five years old, you know, so I'm five foot nine on a good day and, you know, got the <laughs> when you're on your tiptoes, that, that corn fed boy look where we're all like, you know, five foot nine and, uh, you know, 180 pounds. We're just a sweat yeah. muscle. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I love wrestling. Kylie doesn't really understand um, wrestling at all. So, I, you know, I, I'll stop and watch it sometimes. And she's like, I just don't get it. I'm like, yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> but it was awesome, <laughs> man. Some of my favorite memories growing up wrestling. Heck yeah. It taught me a lot. You get a few minutes, go back and listen to my episode with Tom Ryan, who left a full ride scholarship and drove halfway across the country to take a shot at wrestling for Dan Gable wow. at the University of Iowa. Um, I, I did an interview with him. He went on to be an amazing collegiate wrestler and a national champion coach of a collegiate team. But we talked about wrestling in Iowa. Yes. And I have to tell people, like when I was a kid in school, all of the boys went on one bus, all of the girls went on another bus, and the boys' bus went straight to the wrestling um, gym. And then if you didn't want to wrestle, you could get on a different bus and go home, but you were going to go to the gym, and then you could get on a different bus. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how much, you know this already, Jay, but that's just how much wrestling is part of the culture in Iowa, man. Wrestling is king 
and actually they actually wrestle in football stadiums that's how many crowds will show up for a wrestling match in iowa yep 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 all my buddies back home have the cauliflower ear too i'm thankful yeah obviously you survived that yeah. okay so now you know i understand long drives across those farm fields where there is corn and soybeans as far as the eye can see it's flat it's level and you can just see forever so I'm thinking about you growing up, listening to um, some of your dad's classic rock or listening to your mom sing country while you're driving through those farm fields in Iowa. Tell everybody what this was like. Yeah, so uh, my, my mom really is the reason why I think country music found me and why I ended up in Nashville. She would always pick. I like how you said, by the way, didn't mean to interrupt you, but I like how you said, I. you didn't say I found country. You said country found you. Yeah, it really did. You know, um, mom would pick me up every day after practice, you know, whatever sporting event that was. She picked me up and she had this car. Was a, I hated this car so much. It was a 95 <laughs> Sabre and it was purple. <laughs> oh, nice. So you were embarrassed just climbing in the back seat of this thing. <laughs> My God get out of here um but i learned to love the experience and it's one of my favorite memories because she would roll down the windows and crank up the local country radio station and yeah that's where i learned everything about country music that's what why i fell in love with it you know we would sing every song at the top of our lungs laughing all the way back home she could not fall asleep at night without her little clock radio on her bedside table uh-huh local country radio station i don't think my dad yeah. left a wink the entire their entire <laughs> that um, so obviously huge love for country music because my mama, my, my pops, my dad, on the other hand, is a hippie. He's got a shaved head back then. He had a mullet before mullets, you know, I think he had a mullet before mullets were cool. Yeah. Now they're cool again. Uh, it, his mullet was so long. It was like, that's not even a mullet, man. That's just nasty. <laughs> oh, he didn't have the Billy Ray Cyrus mullet. He went all out with this thing, huh? Let it go. Um, and, uh, you know, he introduced me to what I, you know, classify as the legends of rock and roll. So, you know, he had an insane vinyl collection and we'd go through. Really? He, uh, he introduced me to Aerosmith and Led Zeppelin and uh, ACDC, all those, all those bands. And um, I remember one day he came downstairs, he was wearing a jean jacket with the collar popped. And he had a matching <laughs> jean jacket from 10 years old. He said, Jay, it's, uh, it's time you go to your first concert. So uh, he, uh, he, we got in his 91 Ford Bronco and went to a Sticks concert. I think it was Kansas opening up. Sticks at 13 years old. Nice. to Mr. Roboto, man. So he introduced yeah. me to rock. So I have a mother that loved country music, a dad that loved rock and roll. And so when I finally en ended up in Nashville, got my first publishing deal and started writing full time every day. That's kind of where the sound naturally went to. The two kind of kind of formed together and that's been kind of the music I've been releasing and uh, we're planning on releasing a record hopefully this fall yeah. working on that and that's kind of the sound you know I uh, yeah. really fell in love with alternative rock um, you know late you know late 90s early 2000s Five, uh -huh. Bush Matchbox 20 Three Doors Down which I just released the Three Doors Down cover so that's kind of the sound you know I, I have a lot of nostalgia you know um, with music because of that upbringing I was even though my parents weren't musical per se they introduced me to lots of diff different types of music so yeah yep. man I was doing some research about you before this episode and I heard this you know heard you talk about the influence those long drives and listening to mom singing in the car 
And I was thinking back, man, I got you by a few years. So I was a few years before you in Iowa, but my dad had this old car that had an eight track player in it. For all of the listeners who don't know what an eight track player is, go Google it. Um, because he had three different eight tracks and we would drive for an hour and he would just sit, sit there and recycle those. One of those three eight tracks was Tommy James and the Shondells out of the sixties. I still think about this long drives through Iowa. When I hear the song crimson blue persuasion on the radio, I don't hear that song very much anymore, but when somebody starts playing that song, it takes me back to 10 years old in the back seat listening to that eight track tape in my father's car because you know this there's absolutely nothing to look at there's absolutely nothing to do for about an hour on this drive in iowa right that's awesome man eight track i don't think my wife even knows what eight tracks are heck yeah you got a uh, I, I i there was three different eight tracks i could tell you every word from every song on all three of them that's awesome bro. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I want to talk about how you end up in Nashville because I would love for people to hear what this felt like being an Iowa boy in Nashville. I mean, talk about not being from around here, but I need you to explain to everybody how you end up in Nashville. How did you go from Iowa, from Cedar Falls, Iowa to Nashville? Yeah, I'm going to make this story as short as possible because it's the farthest thing from short. Um, I <laughs> Honestly, uh, Nash, I never thought I'd end up in Nashville. I did everything in my power to not come here. Um, really? What were you trying to avoid Music City if you love music that much? Yeah, so I've always been afraid of being a cliche. You know, uh, I, I've always been, you know, do things the hard way, go against the grain, um, you know, find your own path. And it was like, oh, if you're musically talented, move to Nashville. And I was like, man, I don't feel like I need to move to a city to do music. Um, for me, I, you know, I, uh, I'm going to try to make this short. So my dad owned a restaurant. No, man, you're good. We're doing a podcast. You can take some time. Cool. Cool. Um, so my dad owned a restaurant in small town, Iowa. It was like a country cafe. So wait a second. What? I got to know the name of it. Cause maybe I ate there one time. What did he own? It was called Joe's country grill. Really? I mean, I don't think they exist anymore, but he was partners with another guy named Joe. My dad's name is Joe. okay. Two Joe's that went in on this together. And they had two restaurants called Joe's Country Grill. Wait a second. There is two guys named Joe, and the name of the restaurant is Joe's Plural Country Restaurant, and or or Joe's Cafe. What is it? Joe's Country Grill. <laughs> Joe's Country Grill, and they've got two of them. Your dad's a your dad has a franchise, man. Yeah, well, he did. <laughs> he actually ended up hiring my mother before they even entertained dating to be a waitress. They actually met at the restaurant and fell in love working together. So thus I was born. <laughs> really? I was actually, All I was right. in their wedding. I was three months old and in the wedding. It was kind of a shotgun wedding, but uh, yeah, their story is they fell in love, you know, because they had me. So it ended up being a really beautiful thing. I know that's not always the case. So uh, some of my oldest yeah. memories are they'd get up at 4 a.m. and they'd take me into the restaurant to open up. So slowly but surely, all the old guys would trickle in, get their coffee, and sit at the bar and have breakfast. And it grew me up really quick because, you know, all the old guys bestow their wisdom on me as a kid. Um, and so there was a couple that would come in every morning, and they would always they – had, they had a light about them. Um, and I just remember being really, really captivated by them, how positive they were. And um, they would always invite my parents to go to church. And uh, my parents, I think – 
had a bad experience with church growing up. And so they expressed their faith and they like that to have faith, but we didn't go to church at the time when I was a kid. So they would always politely decline, and then they decided to start working on mm-hmm. it. My parents eventually agreed to allow this couple. Their name was Ron and Lila Fouts, which is why I ended up becoming a wrestler, because Ron loved wrestling. Big, I, he actually introduced me to Dan Gable. I got, And so um, the, my parents allowed them to pick me up every Sunday and okay. start taking me to church. Um, and uh, we'd be in the front row in this big Baptist you know, church every Sunday morning. We never, we never, ever missed. And one morning, um, we sang out of hymns. And I'm, you know, eight, nine years old, and I'm, you know, have a really high voice. I'd gone through puberty. <laughs> yeah, I didn't care. <laughs> and uh, um, I just remember Ron grabbed me by the back of the neck and said, Jay, you can sing, buddy. He goes, I'm putting you on stage next weekend, and you're going to sing. No, he didn't. Yeah, so he put me on stage. I sang, like, How Great Thou Art from the whole church. and. Uh, Wow. That was the first time I uh, just sang in front of everyone and then seeing their response made me truly believe that, oh, I, maybe I can sing. You know, so it just, you know, it escalated and every opportunity I had to sing in front of the church or for the church, I, I did. That turned into um, me, you know, helping start min- ministries, youth ministries, college ministry at University of Northern Iowa called Basic. Ended up exploding, turned into like that you know about a thousand kids showing up every thursday night on campus yeah man look at you i would lead that that turned into me uh and like a internship at the local church that turned into me doing that as a career and i did that for about eight years i ended up in atlanta for about a year i ended up in savannah and i i really truly believe that i found my calling that that was my purpose to be a music director slash worship leader and i know that's a lot of people's stories for me i was dead set like this is what i'm doing and i was very pure-hearted in it um, until unfortunately, you know, when you become an adult, um, you find out, I say, it's like Santa's not real. You know, like the Easter bunny doesn't exist. You get your heart broke. You know? Yeah. And, uh, I got my heart broke in the church just a few too many times. It became too real to me and, uh, I just could not be involved. So I won't get involved in I won't get into the nitty gritty, but, uh, some, you know, people that I really, really looked up to let me down and I decided it was time yeah. to part ways with that church. So. Um, we'd, I, I made that tough decision and, uh, this is, a you know, something a lot, not a lot of people know about me, but before Kylie, I was married, we were high school sweethearts and, you know, just got married too soon. So we were together at that time. And I remember feeling like, man, I, I know I made a really hard choice, but I had to make that. Choice. Yeah. But suddenly I didn't yeah. have a job and I had a, a new wife and we were just kids. And, um, so we had to go back to Iowa with our tail between our legs from Savannah, Georgia. Wow. I, I took an I took another church job, not like I said, I had my heart broke, so I was doing it for the wrong reasons because that's all I, uh-huh. all my experience. Um so I took a job just because I needed a job and that's you know what I knew best. And about nine months into that, we're living in Des Moines, Iowa. My ex wakes me up and she said, Jay, you're not happy. I was like, What do you mean? She goes, what do you want to do? She had to tell you that you're not happy. Yeah, like, you already knew that, but she now knows it. I that. already knew that. Uh, she felt it. It was uh, driving a massive wedge, you know, in between our relationship. It had, you know, pretty much dissolved our relationship because I was checking. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I said, what do you mean? She goes, you need to just go to Nashville and do music the way you want to do it. 
She told you to go to Nashville? That you need to go. And wow. You need to go right now. Otherwise, you'll always regret it. She goes, don't do it for me. Do it for you. And uh, I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Over about two and a half weeks, she convinced me. And uh, I still had a lease uh, with a condo in downtown Des Moines. And uh, she said, I'll stay back for the remainder of the lease. It was about four months. Uh You just go, get plugged in, do whatever you got to do, and give me free reign. And so I did that. I had one suitcase. I had a guitar. And uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, connected me with an older couple that lived outside of Nashville in Hendersonville. And um, they had never met me, only heard about me. And they had an in-law suite in the back of their house, a private apartment. They said, um, before even meeting me, they said, just because of what we heard about you, we're going to let you stay there free of charge. We will not charge you a dollar. Wow. And so the first, my first four months in Nashville, um, I was working full time, riding full time and, uh, getting plugged in, which, you know, to get plugged in and anything, you just yeah. be present. Sure. Getting as many people yeah. good going out every night and, uh, just exhausted sending all my paychecks back to my ex and uh-huh. after the lease. And, um, I would still try to, you know, write a check and send it, give it to this couple every month for rent. And they would rip that check up and they'd put it back in my kitchen. <laughs> every Sunday I'd come home from church and my whole, my whole kitchen would be full of groceries. Like I have, I wouldn't wow. be able to survive and get on my feet and get plugged in here in Nashville if that wasn't the case. God gave me a pair of angels to help me get can you tell us the first names of the that couple that let you stay in their place for free? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you his full. His name is Paul Frank, um, and uh, yeah. he's a pastor. He's now a retired pastor. Still lives in Hendersonville with his wife, and uh-huh. he would not take any credit. He would not take any money. Wow. He, uh, he didn't want to be known or recognized. He just said, "I feel called. We feel called to help you. We feel like you're special." And I was just like, it was so overwhelming, man. And so, yeah, and so beautiful, and so for me of God. I thought, man, this is where I'm supposed to be, and uh, I I can't let anyone down. I have to just keep trekking and figure it out. So that's what Nashville, you know. (laughs) The fact that your wife is telling you, go, I know you need to go, go. When you show up, there's a couple that just throws open the doors and gives you everything that you need to pull this one off. Man, you can't ignore that it's all fallen into place and not fallen into place on accident. It's fallen into place for a reason, right? And uh, the story goes on and it's it's, uh, pretty nuts to me to look back now, like just to say this out loud. I, you know, I feel like God takes you through seasons, puts words in people's mouths at the perfect time. Yep. Uh, so Definitely. I, you know, I thought my ex's intentions were pure. And uh, I spent four months in Nashville, got fully plugged in, uh, got my first. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> Keep going, man. Got my man. first deal lined up in a very short period of time and uh, got on my feet and uh, I moved her to Nashville. And very shortly after, she sat me down and she let me know that the real reason why she wanted me to come, to uh-huh. she had a boyfriend. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, it, uh, Dude, that must have rocked your yeah, world. Man, we're, we, you know, like I, I mentioned. Especially since she's your high school sweetheart, man, and you're holding on to her because everything is new around you, right? Yeah. It was like, I cannot wait to get her to Nashville so we can do this together, all that I've you know, struggled and sacrificed and build up in a short period of time. I can't wait to share that with her when she gets here. Um, 
she immediately broke my heart, you know, and uh, and then I found out the deal that I was working on was falling through. So, you know, I, I oh, thought I'd immediately beat the system and thought I was setting myself up for success. And um, it seemed to be all magical. And then my, you know, my heart was ripped out of my chest immediately. Nashville can be a really beautiful yeah. place. It can also be a really cruel place. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube would think this is obviously a tough guy. You're there in a muscle shirt. You got tattoos all over, full sleeves, chest piece, everything else. <laughs> um, and obviously anybody who's watching this would think this dude is a tough dude. But I know when your heart is broken by an ex-wife, when the music career is falling apart around you, when you're away from home and everything is a struggle, man, this is rough. And uh, I'm just thinking about this, these, the, you know, the, the first few months, first few years that you were in Nashville, how, how brutal, um, how hard that town can be. It's not like anybody shows up and tomorrow they're headlining tours and they're making millions of dollars, man. Almost everybody goes through what you went through. Yes. And, uh, you know, someone saying that to me, what you just said, someone that had already been through it before me, you know, that's the, the fastest way to learn is to seek advice of the ones that have gone before you, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I had just been told um, who I thought the love of my life was that I completely trusted and never thought would have the capability to hurt me. Just shared this terrible news. Uh, and yeah. the deal that I'm working on, uh, thought I had figured it out, fell through. Um, I decided my first thought was I've always, you have fight or flight. You have two options in life, fight, fight. Oh, yeah. I've uh -huh. always been fight. But, man, I was like, screw this. <laughs> this is why I talked to Nashville. I was right. That's right. I'm going back to work a farm in yeah, Iowa. Like, I'm going to go back and be a farmer, you know, I'm, or I'm going to lead worship part time and be a farmer. Whatever. Mm -hmm. I was right. This is why I didn't want to come to Nashville. So I decided in my mind I was going to play a show, my last show. And so I booked it at a little venue here in town called Third and Lindsley. And uh, I'm like, I'm going to play the show and say I did it and then move back. And so. Okay, so hold on. Before you go any further, I'm getting a picture in my mind. You've already settled in your mind. This ain't working. I made a mistake. I'm going to do one more show just to get it out of the system, and then I'm going back to Iowa. I love where this is going. What happens when you play this yep, show? So I get on stage, and there's a handful of people there, and uh, they're just like the regular crowd. Uh, if you imagine being on stage and looking out, um, instead of having faces looking at me, I had a bar in front of me and that's the bar. <laughs> and they're all they're all looking at each other. It doesn't matter what you say, they are not they're not right. interested. It didn't matter that I was even there. I was just background music. And so I did the dang thing. I played the show and I walk off stage and, and like I said in my mind, I'm going home. I'm done. And uh I walk right to the bar and a guy approaches me and uh shakes my hand and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is Billy Currington. Like a big name. <laughs> Uh-uh. No. And uh, I didn't even recognize that. He, I didn't even see him there the whole time. He was like at the bar with his girlfriend. And um, he said, Jay, uh, I have no idea who you are. I just watched your whole set for the first time. And I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I was in Nashville for nine years. He said he worked at a concrete company before anyone gave a crap about me. Wow. And all, all I can tell you, just a little piece of advice, take her to leave it, but never leave. But just don't leave. Last man standing wins.
Oh, he told you the last man standing. Nashville. Uh, okay, for all of the listeners, here it is. Nashville is a war of attrition. Whoever is still standing at the end wins. I love it. I'm going to quote Billy Currington here. That's the reason why I stayed. Um, and so I, just, I sucked it up, man. I was like, man, uh, another moment in time where God puts some words in someone's mouth and really shocks yeah. me and surprises me. So that obviously lit a fire up in, inside of me. And that was the moment I made the decision. No matter what happens, I'm just going to keep going. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going to take me. Um, I just know that God brought me here and he's putting words in certain people's mouths unexpectedly to continue to reiterate that I should stay. And so I did, man. I just, uh, I kept just doing what I was doing, making friends and writing songs. And it led to me getting a publishing deal. And uh, so for the, for the first time ever outside of Christian music or the church or leading worship, I was getting paid to do music. Getting paid to play some music. How about yeah, that? Yeah, so I took that very seriously. I'd write two songs every day, sometimes more. I would write on the weekends. What? Two songs a oh, day? Oh, yeah. I thought immediately, man, like, how lucky am I? You know, that I, yeah. how many people in the world would love this opportunity? So I'm not going to yeah. lightly. I'm going to give it my all. And so every day I'm thrown into a room. It's like a first date with a handful of people where we have to basically, you know, you know, speed date, tell each other everything about each other, <laughs> get to know each other, and then try to write the best song possible. And uh, mm-hmm. did that nonstop for two years. That led me to my next publishing deal with Sony. Uh, mm-hmm. Led me to writing a really fun song called Sounds Good to Me that uh, Sirius XM The Highway picked up. And they called me and made me The Highway Fine. And suddenly I went from, man, I, I'm there's nothing inside of me that's, you know, that wants me to be in Nashville, but suddenly I'm in Nashville doing the dang thing and I hear my, I yeah. hear my, one of my songs on the radio and, uh, it just kind of spiraled after that. Um, that led to me, you know, getting a manager and then signing on with the booking agent and before I know it, I'm opening up for the Billy Carrington's of the world and I'm on the yeah. of hundreds and thousands. And, um, uh, it's just like, Oh my gosh, like this finally happened. And, uh, it was a, a really, really beautiful start. Um, and then my mom got sick. And, uh, yeah. And then I, and then I, you know, out of therapy, out of heartbreak, um, I just needed to get it out of me. And mm-hmm. now I've learned that's where all the goodness and all the greatness comes is when you write something, not just to get try to get something for yourself, but you yeah. write something because you're called to do it, whether writing a song or creating any piece of art or doing a beautiful, awesome podcast like this, like when you feel called to do something and you do it, that's when the greatness happens. And so that's what happened to me. I I wrote a song for my mother um, out of heartache. She was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at age 51. And that's, you know, it's a long, long story and we can get into it, but that's, that's the thing that showed me my purpose that showed me, uh, my purpose for music and to use my voice and how I was supposed to direct that. And uh, man, uh, one song and me being a complete open book and utilizing my music and my voice for that purpose um, has done so much good and raised so much money. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad that I listened to my ex-wife. I'm so glad that uh, God mm-hmm. in a room when I was completely heartbroken to tell me some really important words. 
And uh, now I'm even thankful for my mother's path and the legacy that she left because it made me one, maybe yeah. one strong dude. So. Yeah. Well, um, I want to tell you the whole reason for this podcast is exactly what Billy Currington said, man. We're just trying to help people that are going through it right now or about to go through it like you did. Hang in there. And when you're at that last show, if Billy Currington doesn't say this to you, maybe you take off and head back to Iowa. Maybe none of this happens. But because he looks you in the eyes and says, listen, man, don't quit. Don't stop. Last man standing wins. Be unbeatable is basically what he was telling you. And I'm going to quote Billy Currington on this episode. Man, the fact that he did that to you gave you this the ability to just hang in there. But I also hope the listeners here right now, man, it didn't turn around overnight. I mean, stuff started to happen, but it didn't happen overnight. It was still a long grind to get where you are today. Yes. Um, life is like like anything for anyone. It's a roller coaster ride, you know. And with yeah. the good comes the bad. And with the high peaks, there's the low, low, low dark valleys. And you just got to take it one day at a time. So there's yeah. been and and the low the low valleys and the dark moments tend to last a little longer than the good moments but the good ones are what you hold on to and what get you to the next absolutely man that's what makes holding on through those dark ones those dark moments worth it hey we're going to come back in just a second to your mother's sickness and the song that you wrote and what happened as a result of that um but jay have you ever heard about these guys at go ministries i don't think i have they man <clears throat> they're building basically a network that's going to turn the world upside down and go ministries is sponsoring this episode so man i want you to hear from will pardon and from the president uh the founder of go ministries and then we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about this song that you wrote for your mom hi my name is will pardon i'm the president of go ministries go ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one -on -one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or a disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. Jay, listen, man, you mentioned that your mom is 51 years old, which for the early onset Alzheimer's seems radically young and she gets sick and you decide that you're going to write something that means something to you. And I was just listening to you talk and I was thinking there is a world of difference between writing songs for money and there's nothing wrong with it. By the way, you got to pay the bills, got to put food on the table, but writing a song with meaning versus writing a song for money, that's a war, a radically different world. So before we get to the song, tell me what it was like when you found the news out. Describe what it's like for the families of Alzheimer's because I've been around more than a couple of families impacted by this terrible disease yes. you know i take a lot of pride in now being one of the, the faces that can uh, 
shine light on this disease, you know, um, almost, yeah, man. make it almost cool to talk about the struggle. Um, create, I, you know, I've created a safe place on social media, especially Facebook. I never really under, understood the importance of social media until this happened to me. And now I take a lot of yeah. pride that my social media, especially my Facebook has became a place of community for people to feel safe and talk about struggle. Yeah. So, my dad called me. It was a phone call. I'll never forget. I had been in Nashville for a couple of years at this point. And so he called me from small town Iowa. said, yeah, it's my obligation to let you know what happened this morning. My mother had been going to the same place of work for years and years and years. Uh-huh. Drive there in the morning with her eyes closed. I'm sure of it. He said, your mom called me this morning. She said she had pulled over on the side of the road. and She was crying her eyes out. And she had no idea where she was. Yeah, she was confused and didn't know where yes. she was. Please yep. come pick me up. And so I was like, uh, what? <laughs> that makes no sense. And he said, well, she's been struggling for a while now. You know, looking back now, I wish we had been more educated and taken it more seriously. I know a uh-huh. lot of people are like, they, you know, now because, you know, especially people that follow me, uh, everyone is like asking questions like, do you think my mom has Alzheimer's? This is what's happening. So a lot of those are just like being a little forgetful. Um, you should take that seriously. Yeah. My mother was terrified to play trivia games because she would always lose. Because she, you oh, know. Yeah. So looking back now, there's a lot of signs even in her like late forties that this was onsetting. So she was age fifty one uh, when she was officially diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. They call it. Early. Mm-hmm. She was so young; it is so rare to get diagnosed at that age. It took her life in two years and nine months. Which again wow. is very rare. How fast it progressed. Uh, that came with Parkinson's and a in a, a world of pain. Oh man! And, uh, I educated myself very very quickly. The next phone call from my dad was, uh, I feel like it's my obligation again to make sure you get time with your mother before this gets any worse. And so, a drive wow. from Iowa. It's about an eleven hour, ten and a half, eleven hour drive mm-hmm. uh, to Nashville, and I you know. My mother raised me like I was the shit. <laughs> Excuse my language, but like I was a cocky kid because I was surrounded by love. I was the oldest. I was the only son, and uh, she treated me like like, like a king. Um, and so, the one thing I miss the most about her is how a mother looks at a child. And, and so yeah. I expected that look when I opened up the door of my home. And- when you went home to see her, so yeah. they opened up the door and. Uh, uh, it's hard to describe the feeling of someone that raised you, that treated me like that, surrounded me in love, to look at me and look straight through me like I was nothing. Uh, yeah. And yeah. it, it, uh, I about fell to my knees. Uh, I was so disappointed. It was like an out of body feeling, like no way this is happening to us. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah. it upset me to the point where, again, we have two options in life: fight or flight. And I'm choose uh-huh. fight. Another moment where I, I, I'll admit I chose flight. I said, Dad, I don't know. Oh, we got to get out of here. And so let's just yeah. go out. I, I don't know. So he got her dolled up, and we took her to a well-known venue here in Nashville called the Sutler Saloon. And uh, we've all heard heard about the power of music. None of us have gotten to actually experience it. Like I said, mm-hmm. I was a music director at churches and led worship. Oh, yeah build and create these environments where people felt safe to worship and you know have a moment with God and so I thought, you know, for sure, I've experienced the power of music. No, sir, I had not experienced it fully in its most in, in its 
Fig's beauty. I opened up the door of that venue and I felt it immediately because my mother, who had dementia, Alzheimer's, had a blood yeah. in her face. Yeah. She was not with us. When she saw that band on stage and she heard that music rocking, that went away. And she wanted to go. She all came, she came rushing she came back? rushing back, man. So being wow. the oldest, I got two little baby sisters. I've always been the fixer and the glue in our family. So I saw a moment and I took advantage of it. So I grabbed her by the hand. I pulled her to the front of the venue in front of everyone. And we started slow dancing to a fast song. And I didn't care that everyone was looking at us. I just wanted to take that moment with her. Uh, wow. The band caught on. I actually knew the singer, Eric Hedley. He saw what was happening. And uh, he saw my mom, who looked ill at the time. You could physically see it. Yeah, Ill. yeah. So he had the band slow everything down and uh, created this moment. And I just felt. Oh, man, that's beautiful. I felt mom take this big breath and uh, just leaned in. She goes, oh, Jay, I've missed you. It's so good to see you, son. I love you. And wow. uh, I just lost it right there. And uh, we danced a while yeah. longer and uh that was the thing that inspired me and put a song in my brain uh, they spent two weeks with us in nashville every moment i had with her i'd try to get her back like that uh, sing her songs make her laugh whatever i could do and uh and they walked out the door and i had this whole song in my head uh the wow. hook line was it was a even though it was a really really sad moment for us i had this really positive thought and it was, hey, I still see you. I know you're still in there. I still see you. Yeah. You in between yeah. those blank stairs. You're there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight. Yeah. That's where the. I wrote it on Music Row with a good buddy of mine who's gone on to be a mega hit songwriter. And uh, uh, when you're signed to a publishing company, you're supposed to turn in your songs. You write, then you yeah. give it to them, and that's what they pay you to do because they're trying to cut your songs and make money out of them. Uh-huh. So I did that. We just wrote this song, and I shared with him the story, and just two guys with beards and tattoos crying for a whole day writing this song. And wow. During the song, I get a phone call a couple of days later, and it was the president of Sony at the time. And he said, Jay, uh, you don't know this about me, but I'm, I'm listening to your song, and I know exactly what it's about because I lost, wow. lost my dad to Alzheimer's, and I was his caregiver for the last five years of his life. Oh, my goodness, so, man. Uh, he made me make a promise. Said, "Make me a promise that every dime that we make from this song, we will help to give. We will utilize to give back to shining light on this disease. And um, if you do that uh, for me, he goes, I will get this song in front of some very important people very quickly. And uh, it was off to the races after that. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, I've been around dozens of families. Um, actually, you know, daily around dozens of families that had a family member with Alzheimer's. And I've always thought this is a cruel disease because of what it does to the person with the disease. But it's even crueler what it does to the family because you're sitting there looking at her and you know that she's not there anymore. And man, it hurts so bad. Yeah. So you write the song Blank Stairs. And I want the listeners to hear this number because I'm not making this up. It starts to gain traction. It takes off like a rocket. And on Facebook alone, it has 500 million views. That's one half of a billion views. Basically, about a tenth of the planet has listened to this or watched this song on Facebook alone 
because of how powerful that song is, man. Can you just describe the essence of Blank Stairs? We, we know you're talking about your mom and the pain that she you're going through watching this disease take her from you. But what made this song connect like that? So there's a voicemail on the beginning of this track on Blank Stairs. And it was a voicemail that I got from my mother on my birthday, previous to them coming to visit me in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so my dad had put my mom on the phone and she called me and she tried to wish me a happy birthday, but she ends up fumbling over her words and it's like she forgot even why she was why she was, why on, she the was phone. on the phone and just fumbles through the words and hangs up. And I kept that message and I listened mm-hmm. every day. It was like uh, just a reminder that this is actually happening and uh, I, yeah. I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but I knew I had to do something because she was the most selfless, kind, giving mother, and uh, she would have done anything for me. She would have fought for me if I was that person in her scenario. Yeah. So I thought, man, there's something that I have to do. I'm going to do it. So um, that's on the beginning of the track. But, you know, I just, just you know, after we wrote this song, it ended up on Sirius X in the Highway. They've always championed both Kylie and I. Yeah. And uh, because of that, um, we got a phone call from the National Alzheimer's Association, and it was a goal of mine to get in touch with them. But I didn't, I didn't try. Mm-hmm. And they, it was cool. Another way that God has worked is they heard the song and they reached out to us. And it was the there's the National Alzheimer's Association, and, yeah. and then it spider webs off to all these chapters, and they cover all the, yeah. the United States. And so uh, one of them in California, in San Jose, reached out. And they were having a gala. Back then I called it gala. Now I've been educated. It's called gala. <laughs> but, yeah. Now that they've taught this Iowa guy how to talk yeah. in fancy settings like yeah, this. They, yeah, they raised me up real quick. It's called gala. Um, but uh, they basically wanted me to come and get on stage at this gala and to tell my story and sing this song. And it was part of, um, you know, pulling the heartstrings of the people that were attendees. Yeah, you, sure. You know, so... They had a silent auction um, and raised a lot of money that night. But so I went went in blind. I'd never done this before. Um, so I remember standing, uh, just watching in the back uh, with my band, and uh, I realized, dang, everyone's in suits and ties. All the all the females are in really nice dresses, and we're like in ripped up jeans and cut off shirts. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wearing your wearing your Nashville ball cap. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Kim Paisley walks on stage. It's Brad Paisley's wife. She's a famous actress. She walks on stage, and uh, I'm like, oh, dang, uh, she's here. That's cool. And she introduces me to come on stage with my band. And I was like, oh. So I put my beer down and walk on stage. And immediately I realized Garth Brooks is sitting in the front row with this cowboy. Oh, no. And I was like, the biggest name in country music, the biggest name alive in country music. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, no pressure, yeah, right? Like, What's happening? Where am I? And uh, so I'm just a normal dude. So I, I did what I was brought there to do. I just Mike, introduced myself, told our story about my mom getting sick. I sang the song, and the most beautiful thing happened after that. The power of music. In that room, there was some of the most famous, successful people in the world. And that moment it didn't matter. No matter how much money you had, how famous you were, who the heck you were, if you were Garth Brooks or Joe Slow, whatever. Um, everyone stood up and applauded and hugged each other and cried because everyone 
common yeah. ground. And that's, we were. Because nobody has the answer to Alzheimer's right now. No matter how much money or power you have, you can't stop Alzheimer's. Yeah, you can't. And everyone felt that in that room. And it was yeah. like a, there was like a, it was almost like a weight was lifted because we all had a common ground. Um, we all yeah. realized we're human. We're all struggling with something that's really hard to explain. We're all losing someone to Alzheimer's or have lost someone to Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, that was a moment that has left a fire in my belly for the last four or five years. And, uh, that wow. turned into me saying yes to every single show, every single benefit, every single fundraiser, every single gala that has come my way. And uh, one very important moment, uh, we got invited to open up for a big artist named Jake Owen, country artist in Iowa. And uh, I was like, man, since we're coming through Iowa and this song is starting to gain traction, I'm seeing all the good that's coming from it. I thought, I can only, we can only talk so much and educate people so much. Yeah, right. Yeah. I thought, what better way to teach people about Alzheimer's than to show them what it looks like? And so I called my dad and I said, I, don't, I have a conflicted thought, um, but I think it could be really powerful. I said, what do you think about me bringing mom on stage? At the end of my show, right before Jake Owen goes on in front of a couple thousand people, what if I brought mom on stage and I showed them what this looks like? And uh, he said, yeah, let's do it. He didn't, I mean, he didn't question okay. me. And so we went through our whole show, which is a really, really fun, upbeat, Rock and yeah. roll country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a country crowd, you know, let me paint the vision for you. They're there to have a good time at a party. So, yeah, sure. Everyone's partying, to, you know, to our set. We get to the end, and I look at my dad side stage, and he, he nodded his head, yes. And she was all smiles. So I grabbed her. I pulled her to the very center of the stage in front of everyone, wrapped her arms around me, and I wrapped my arms around her. I told her, I song. And those couple thousand people who were there to party shut the heck up and they listened. I bet. And it was a uh, it was dead silent. And uh, I showed them what this was. And uh, it, it it was it was a uh, it was it was overwhelming. Um, yeah. And I thought after it was done, the response was so beautiful. I you know now I always go directly to the merch booth or whatever setup is after, mm-hmm. and I'll be the last person to leave because after that. Man, there was a two-hour-long line at the merch. Yeah, yeah. Built a safe place to share their story of heartache. Uh-huh. Rangers put their sh- head on my shoulder and cry, just hug me, and uh, I just knew like I this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so yeah. every time we came through Iowa, we did that. And uh, one show in particular, someone took a video on their phone and they put it on their Facebook, and it turned into eight viral videos that exploded. Yeah. It just broke the yeah. internet, basically. And then uh, media caught on, and uh, you know, ABC World Nightly News got a hold of it. People TV, every outlet you can think of. And before I knew it, uh, you know, I just kept my head down, said yes to everything. And before I knew mm-hmm. it, we, I thought we had raised about fifty million bucks, you know. And then we actually had to do a fact check because I went on the Voice and I said that. <laughs> and before they aired it on TV, they had to do a fact check, and we actually found out we raised. Uh, now over $100 million to help fight this. Man, $100 million. Holy yeah. cow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you went from the highway find on Sirius XM. By the way, I know about this highway find. It's a great place for artists to start a career. 
to becoming nominated for the Male Artist of the Year at the 2020 CMAs, man, that had to feel really good. So what's next, man? Tell everybody about the album, Betty James, and uh, what's 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 coming down the pipe for you? Yeah, so um, because of everything that's happened, I made friends with a guy. Um, just another one of the ways that God's worked in my life that actually happens to be the head of a record label. Uh, it's the third largest music distribution company, label services company in the world called One Art. Okay. They have now made their presence in Nashville. And uh, before we were even talking, we had just made friends along the way. And we were mm-hmm. one night, and uh, he had let me know that he was sick. One of his, his he had lost a kidney already, and then uh, his other one was failing, and he needed a kidney. Mm-hmm. The way my brain works was, well, how do I give you a kidney? <laughs> so. Of course you're going to give him a kidney. Yeah. Look, I got two. I only need one. Here, you can have one. That's my thinking. Like, man, if I was in that, I immediately felt called to help. So I asked him how I could help. I did all the testing, and I found out I was a perfect match. And uh, he ended up bringing Kylie and I and my wife and I to New York City. And he wanted to get the surgery in Cornell. And we get into it about a month. And they pulled the plug on us uh, because they said something about my protein levels being too high. It was like the... The final hour, and they pulled the plug on us, and I couldn't give him the kidney. But you were sitting there saying, heck yeah, I'll give this guy my kidney, and you go all the way through with it until the doctors call it quits. Dude, that's incredible. Yep. It was a, uh, it was, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I learned about my body too, so I'm glad that I did it. Yeah. But you know, what, what actually came out of that was a really beautiful relationship. And so him and I just became really good friends and, you know, we're connected. And I know he shared with me things that he probably never shared with anyone. And yeah. so he yeah. watched the whole story unfold with me and, you know, what I've, you know, helped try to do with Alzheimer's. And so when I came back from The Voice, he called me and he said, Jam, come to Nashville just to meet with you. Would you please like come over and have a glass of wine with me? And so I said, yeah, and uh, he offered me a deal. And so I'm about ready to announce a record deal and um, a right. really unique situation. And uh, you can work your butt off as an artist, um, but all and not get this opportunity. Great artists in the world have a great team, you know. And yeah. so God has now finally for the first time circled a really awesome team. Wow. Have awesome management team label team, PR team, and now I have a radio team as well. So we're trying to figure out what radio is going to look like radio in the next year. At least, hopefully by by fall, we'll be hearing a single of mine on country radio. Uh, Yeah. And I'm about to announce all these things soon. So you're the first to hear it. It's not even on the internet. Listen to that. How about that, unbeatable audience? You're the first to hear about this massive success that Jay is about to go through. Hey, tell those guys at SiriusXM we want them to pick up this podcast and start carrying it. I've been trying to tell them to grab our podcast. It's pretty much everywhere else. They might as well carry it on SiriusXM too. Awesome. Yes, we love SiriusXM. Hey, I just, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking there are musicians out there that will sell their soul to get a contract that, and they can't pull it off. And you were just willing to give away a kidney. <laughs> I mean, totally free. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes, wild how the Lord works. No, really, truly, only God could work out circumstances like this, man. I'm serious. It, it can't be explained any other way. Yeah. 
I, I always attested that, you know, even in like now I think I'm to the point where we'll walk through dark moments in life. I just know if I just keep walking, put another step and foot, foot in front of the other, I'm going to find that mountaintop again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've had too many moments to make me believe and give me faith. Sure. Obviously, some people are listening. They recognize your voice from the radio. There's some people watching. They recognize your face from the voice television show. But you got this album coming out. Any idea when it's going to be ready? And how do people that want to know more about you find out more about you, Jay? Yeah, so that's the cool thing about social media. Is Like I said, I never understood the importance of it until this story with my mother and the fight against Alzheimer's. So I'm all over all the socials, Facebook and Instagram. Um and TikTok, they're all at J Allen Music, J A Y A L L E N Music. Um, so I try to stay as relevant as possible on there. And then my my uh, website is jallenofficial.com. And um, man, the what's next is you know everyone knows me now. A lot of people, not everyone, a lot of people know me now for the cause I stand for. That will always be the forefront of what I do. And what I represent and uh, how I want to be perceived. But uh-huh. mentioned previously, my dad introduced me to rock and roll. I mean, I, I'm covered. All right. And um, I have this five piece band, and uh, we put on a really, really fun show. And uh, so yeah. the record is going to be a lot of those types of songs to kind of start. Nice. The what's next and that other side of me. And um, it's going to be. A journey because I've never actually put out a full record. I've never dug in and tracked at a you know at a studio and right way. So it's going to be a 12, 13 song record, and I'm projecting for it to be released top of the fall. So there might be all right that I released before then. I'm working on some other cool things in the background, maybe part of a, a film for caregivers. Look at you. Wow. Yeah, man. yeah, lots of cool stuff we're working on. And in between all that, um, I'll be navigating, starting to visit radio stations and play radio events. And I, I have a crazy tour scheduled this year. And yeah, my, wife does too. my wife is so, I mean, we literally never see each other. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot, but uh, it's all good stuff. I'm very, very well, for anybody who's driving and you want to um, find out more, we're going to put links to his uh, social media. We'll even try to put a link to that um, Facebook video so that you can watch that some other time and also to his website just so you can keep track of it because basically the unbeatable audience is getting introduced right now to the future Garth Brooks with full sleeve tattoos and a, you know, and a career that's ready to take off like a rocket ship, man. Jay, thank you for being on this episode, man. Thank you for hanging in, hanging in there in that bar in Nashville when Billy Currington looks at you and says, don't give up, man. Don't quit. Be unbeatable because the last man standing wins and you're proof. This episode is proof. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just be unbeatable. And the last man standing really does win. Well, back at you, brother. Thanks for having me. And thanks for putting together this podcast. Unbeatable is unbeatable. Man. And uh, really yeah, good man. to meet another Iowa boy. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you again. Man, Billy Currington gave the perfect advice for the unbeatable listener. If you really want to be unbeatable, it's not about how hard the circumstances are. It's not about how tough you are. It's just about hanging in there and don't quit. Because Billy Currington, this massive, successful country music star was right. 
the last man standing, the last woman standing really does win. And if you're struggling, don't give up because the last man, last woman standing wins. I hope that you were fired up by this episode. I hope you heard a couple of things that really encouraged you. And if you're not familiar with Jay's music, I hope you'll go out and get familiar because I really do believe this guy is on the way to the top. By the way, if you just found our broadcast for the first time, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on your favorite social media platform or go ahead and follow us on whatever platform you get your podcast from. If you wanna see more from Jay, you wanna watch this thing, you can always tune in on YouTube. But I just wanna tell you, we've got some pretty incredible listeners. And this week, our fan of the week is Brooke Bowen. And Brooke, I just wanna thank you for being so connected and so committed to the unbeatable audience i just want to thank you instagram at two bravo solutions brooke bowen for being our fan of the week and for all of the um, ways that you're hanging out with us and connecting with this podcast if you want to get connected with more than just an, an episode to listen to we got giveaways we've got free content we've got a group of people connecting together they're called the Unbeatable Army, and you will, it doesn't cost one penny. If you want to become part of this Unbeatable Army, just go to unbeatablearmy.com. I'm glad you tuned in to hear about Jay's massive hit, Blank Stairs, and I can't wait to introduce you to next week's guest. See you next week.